Good evening. Welcome to Nighttime. I'm Dave Wager, your host. And for the next half hour, we hope to talk about things that we can just think about in the quietness of wherever you are. Sipping a cup of coffee or tea or looking at a fireplace or watching the sunset. Whatever you're doing, hopefully you can add some thought to it. I come to you from the studios here at Silver Birch Ranch on the campus of the Nicolay Bible Institute and invite you to check out those websites and see if we can be a service to you or your family. We're going to talk about human worth and value and dignity tonight. The idea that God created us in a very special way where while we were in our mother's womb, he crafted us. It wasn't a mistake the way we were made. It's not supposed to be a mistake. He gave us the gender he gave us. He gave us the hair color, the skin tone. He made us exactly the way he wants to make us, and he makes no mistakes. C.S. Lewis once said, Look for yourself, and you will find in the long run only hatred, loneliness, despair, rage, ruin, and decay. I think he's right. We were made to love. We were made to love God and one another. Loving ourselves was not really part of that. We respond to love. We respond to God's love first and foremost. Being amazed by his mercy, then being amazed by his grace. And then we respond to other people as they love us. As they use us or hurt us, we have to understand that that's the product of sin in our culture. But it's not something that ruins who we are because that's given to us by God Almighty. If God crafted me while I was in my mother's womb, then he knows everything about my frame. He understands how I'm made. He understands the purposes of my life. I'm a special creation of his, and I need to bask in that idea. So many times in our lives, we try and figure out why we're important. We look for this thing called significance and security, and it often escapes us because we're looking in the wrong spots. The first question I think we need to ask ourselves is, what is life really about? The life that I have, the life that you have, what's its purpose? As I read the scriptures, I understand that our purpose is to love God and to love one another. I am created as one who God loves, and he gives me a choice whether I'm going to respond to him or not. I'm created as one who is perfectly created by him, and I enter into a sinful world where my sin needs to be dealt with, and God perfectly took care of that by sending his son Jesus to this earth to die on my behalf. My life is really about showing the world who God is and loving him and allowing God to love me. And so is yours. The interesting thing about knowing God's love and allowing God to love us and positioning ourselves to love God, anybody can do that. If I'm in a wheelchair, I can do it. If I'm in a nursing home, I can do it. If I'm the head of a Fortune 500 company, I can do it. If I'm an athlete, I can do it. If I'm not an athlete, I can do it. Life doesn't change its purpose because of my vocation. 
What I do in life is point to God and love him and love the people around me. When Jesus was asked what we should do, we need to love the Lord our God with all our heart, soul, and mind and love each other as ourselves. We know that. That's what we're about. We weren't made to elevate ourselves. We were made to elevate God and to meet the needs of those around us. And in doing that, we're fine. If we have to compare ourselves to others, if we have to have others serve us to be okay, if we have to live in a world where the world revolves around us, we're not going to be okay. Because the world revolves around who God is. And we were made to love him and love one another. That's the basic idea all the way through scripture. Not to do things that promote self. Self will take care of self in time. If we live in the context of the way we were actually created. One of my favorite books to read, and I've shared it before here, is Christ Esteem by Don Matzett. I just want to read from that book some quotes. He says this, We are dealing today with a generation of people who have seemingly stumped the church with a new set of questions. They're not asking, how do I get saved from sin and go to heaven when I die, but rather, who am I and why am I so unhappy? Rather than dealing with forgiveness and eternal life, people today are concerned with personal identity and the meaning of their present existence. While our secular society is faced with a meaningless existence, most Christians today are suffering from complacency. There are many miserable, unhappy, hurting, fearful people in the church who simply put up with their condition. We cannot say to a secular, humanistic society that Jesus Christ is the answer to their deepest needs until he is the answer to the deepest needs and longing of those who claim to be followers of Jesus Christ. God sent his Son into the world as the solution to the human dilemma, as he defined the human dilemma, not as we have defined it. Regardless of the age, it has always been the will and purpose of God for us to find our identity and life in Christ Jesus. Pascal, concerning this subject, said this, Thus, as soon as we venture out along the pathway of self-knowledge, what we discover is that man is desperately trying to avoid self-knowledge. The need to escape oneself explains why many people are miserable when they are not preoccupied with work or amusement or vices. They are afraid to be alone lest they get a glimpse of their own emptiness. For if we could face ourselves with all our faults, we would then be so shaken out of complacency, triviality, indifference, and pretense that a deep longing for strength and truth would be aroused within us. Not until man is aware of his deepest need is he ready to discern and grasp what can meet his deepest need. Those who teach the principles of modern psychology believe that we must develop a positive self-image. We must feel good about ourselves. They claim 
that many of our behavioral problems are caused by a negative self-image, which is developed as a result of other people, such as parents, teachers, and friends, telling us that we're not good people. The negative self-image was built in us by the opinions of other people. It's not based on anything objective. If our behavior is to be adjusted, we must begin by developing a new positive image of ourselves based upon positive opinions, so they say. We develop this new self-image by creating in our minds a positive picture of who we are. We then identify our true selves in that positive picture and thereby answer the question, who am I? We find ourselves in our own manufactured self-image. When you think about it, this is really a fascinating game. We make up our own rules, set the standards, associate with those who agree with us, and pat ourselves on the back for playing the game so well. It seems to me that the game is fixed. The Bible is very clear in its estimate of human life. We are children of wrath, according to Ephesians 2.3. Totally unable by nature to grasp the things of the Spirit of God. 1 Corinthians 2.14 The Bible tells us that we're shaped in iniquity and born in sin. Psalm 51.5 And that the imaginations of our heart are evil. Genesis 8.21 Within our human flesh, there dwells absolutely no good thing. Even though we may desire to do good and be good, we are unable to accomplish our lofty ideals because our nature is wrong. Romans 7, 18 and 19 We are in bondage to the law of sin and death. Romans seven twenty one. I think perhaps C.S. Lewis is providing us with an accurate description of the nature of the fall of man into sin in his science fiction novel, Perlandria, in depicting the lives of man and woman living on another planet untainted by sin. He portrays the devil as tempting the woman by providing her with a mirror so that she was able to reflect upon herself. According to Don Matzett, his little conclusion, at least for this section, is this. I am the problem. What is the solution? If you educate me, you will get a smart sinner. If you discipline me, you will get a disciplined sinner. If you refine me, I become a refined sinner. If you give me more religion, I will become a religious sinner. Whatever you do with me, you cannot change what I am. And what I am is the problem. So many times we want to avoid talking about what the real problem is, and yet the real problem is that we don't see reality. We've made things up. The world doesn't revolve around Dave Wager. The sun will come up, the sun will go down, and it doesn't revolve around me. There are people who can say things positive or negative toward me and really don't know what they're saying, but I can let that bother me or build me up. Yet it may not be in line with reality at all. The only one that actually knows me, I mean really knows me, is God. I don't even know myself. There are so many times in life where I may say or do something that surprises me. I'm not sure that I do things right. 
it's not that I get up and I say I want to do wrong things today. It's that I live in a world with perspective. And I will look at things and be moved by things that maybe I shouldn't be moved by. Or maybe I should. As I stay into the scriptures, I can stay into the world that is real reality. Not my made-up reality, not my perspective reality, but reality. See, the scriptures tell me that while I was in my mother's womb, that God crafted me. He put me together, and he put me together in a very special way. Therefore, if I don't like the way that I was put together, I need to blame God. Not culture, not parents, not anything else, but how God did it. And yet I know God doesn't make a mistake. His character is flawless. He will never do what is not right. He has a plan for everything he does. And even though the world that I live in is tainted by sin, God makes no mistakes and will always do what is right regardless of what I do. And he loves me. I need to act and live in accordance with the fact that God loves me. And that he encharges me with a great task to love others that I meet. The problem I have in my life is the fact that I love myself too much. Don Matzett summarizes things by saying, Arriving at this position simplified the entire issue of the Christian life. I did not feel good about myself because I wasn't supposed to. I didn't have a negative self-image. I had a negative self. As an old joke put it, he didn't have an inferiority complex. He was simply inferior. Seeing myself correctly is important. Dave Wager is a sinner. Knowing that my sin has separated me from everything good, everything that's right in this world, that's the first thing I need to deal with if I'm going to live a life the way it was intended to be. I can't deal with the sin on my own, though. That's why God sent his son, Jesus, to die on the cross for me and for you to pay for my sins. God loves, so he gave, John 3.16, for God so loved the world that he gave his only son, that whoever believes in him will not perish but have everlasting life. God loved, so he gave. He loves us. So he gives us choice, and I get to choose every single day whether I'm going to listen to God or ignore him until the day he says I'm done down here. He knows what I'm going to do, but he also gives me real choice, and those real choices have real consequences to him. But he made me to be an object of his love, to be one who would experience mercy and grace. And when I experience mercy, when I focus on the fact that God will never give me what I deserve because of what Jesus Christ did for me on the cross, when I focus on that, I begin to focus on being healthy. I realize that I am sinful. I'm not perfect. When somebody comes to me and says, you're not perfect, I can agree with them 100%. I'm not, but I am loved. And loved enough where God sent his son down to make sure that my lack of perfection will never be something held against me. Not only that, 
I also get to focus on His grace today, getting far more than I ever deserve. I get to focus on the fact that God is my Heavenly Father, and because of that, I am a child of His, and I get to live in a manner that reflects this reality. No matter what happens in this world, I get to admit and, and focus on the fact that God loves me and that I am in a special position, a co-heir with Jesus Christ. Let me read Romans 8, 1 through 17. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. For the law of the Spirit of life has set you free in Christ Jesus from the law of sin and death. For God has done what the law, weakened by the flesh, could not do. By sending his own Son in the likeness of sinful flesh and for sin, he condemns sin in the flesh, in order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us, who walk not according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. For those who live according to the flesh set their minds on the things of the flesh. But those who live according to the Spirit set their minds on the things of the Spirit. For to set the mind on the flesh is death, but to set the mind on the Spirit is life and peace. For the mind that is set on the flesh is hostile to God, for it does not submit to God's laws. Indeed, it cannot. Those who are in the flesh cannot please God. You, however, are not in the flesh, but in the Spirit, if in fact the Spirit of God dwells in you. Anyone who does not have the Spirit of Christ does not belong to him. But if Christ's in you, although the body is dead because of sin, the Spirit is life because of righteousness. If the Spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, he who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through the Spirit who dwells in you. Verse 12. So then, brothers, we are debtors, not to the flesh, to live according to the flesh. For if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. For all who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God. For you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you have received the spirit of adoption as sons, by whom we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are the children of God, and if children, then heirs, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ provided we suffer with him in our order that we might be glorified with him. Let me read verse 17 again. And if children, then heirs, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ, provided we suffer with him in order that we might also be glorified with him. Think of that wonderful position that God gives us. To be joint heirs with Jesus. To be in the family of God. See, when you focus on mercy, you focus on the fact that Jesus came to this earth because he loved you. 
What more do you need to understand how important you are in life? What more do you need to focus on to realize your significance? God, the creator and sustainer of all life, saw that you needed a payment for sin and he came to provide it for you. He did that for you and for me. How can anyone, including yourself, strip yourself of such an understanding of your own personal importance to God of the universe? You and I are important to him. And when we live as if we're unimportant, we're making a statement to God about his love, his sacrifice, his desire to have us in his family, even his creative efforts. God loves me, created me. His son died for me on the cross so I could be in his family. As I focus on the mercy of God, as I focus on the fact that I will never receive what I deserve, I begin to change my mind over to the grace of God, getting far more than I deserve. Not only has God paid for my sins in full, not only, according to Psalm 103, are my sins separated as far as the east is from the west, but I have become a co-heir with Jesus Christ. God is my Father, and I have an inheritance waiting for me, and I will share the inheritance with my brothers and sisters in Christ, and God is first perfectly capable of making something significant happen in that area. I didn't say that I'm a co-heir with Jesus. That almost sounds as if I would be blasphemous. But God has said it here in Romans chapter 8. It's important that we listen to what God says because if we actually listen to what he says, we don't struggle with our value. I may not be able to walk like I used to or run like I used to or play basketball. I may be getting older and my body's falling apart. But I am extremely valuable to my king. In fact, I'm his son. I'm a co-heir with his son, Jesus. I have a purpose today as I get up and out of bed. I get to go and watch what God is doing and participate with him. In the end, there'll be a victory celebration that I get to be a part of. I can remember many years ago in college when I played football. I got injured my senior year and never played again. But I would go to the games and I would wear my jersey, which did not necessarily make me a part of the team, but certainly gave me a feeling as if I was part of the team. And I'd watch them play. I can remember after one game in particular, it was a, a tough game that they edged out at the end and they won. And the guys that I had played football with throughout college who wanted me to be a part of that team but knew that I could no longer play because of the injury came off the field and came by me. And they said, we did it. We won. We finally beat this other team. And I can remember looking at them, thinking, we didn't do anything you did. I know in word I'm a part of the team, but I didn't do anything. I stood here the whole game and watched you. 
I would have loved to have been part of that game, but I wasn't. I was an observer. I had the right jersey. I'm on the right team. I can celebrate with you the victory, but I didn't have anything to do with it, and there's this, this hole in my heart about it because I, I really didn't do anything to help. Oh, in years past, I might have been able to at least claim I went to practice and helped practice and set up situations that you had to practice with, but this time I didn't. I was just watching the game, wearing the jersey. I've often thought about that moment when I stand before God. Because of Jesus and what he's done for me and the shedding of his blood on my behalf, I'll have the right jersey on. I'll be on the right team. I have no doubt that one day when I stand before God that we'll have a great victory celebration. And I'll be able to be a part of that victory celebration because I'm on the right team. But I've often thought of that empty moment where I realized how much more I could have done to be a part of that victory. Instead, I just watched because I had to. But it left this empty feeling that I really don't want to repeat in eternity. You know, for you and for me, we need to realize that in the end, God's going to win. There's going to be a great victory celebration. And I promise you, you will not be satisfied just watching the celebration if you know that you had nothing to participate in the celebration. Oh, we probably all have a little. I mean, I stand as a trophy of God's mercy and grace, and perhaps that's a, a great part of that celebration. But there will be others who obeyed God and were part of the victory, part of the fight all along the way. And God used them in the fight. And in the end, that victory will be all that much sweeter because they allowed God to use them. Maybe use their finances, maybe use their life, maybe use their, their resources, whatever they might be. But in allowing God to use them, they will stand that day fatigued and totally excited about the fact that we won. My coach used to say that on the day of victory, no fatigue is felt. I often wondered about that. I know what he meant. There were times where we won games and I was pretty tired. But I think in eternity, there'll be no fatigue. Because that victory will be beyond anything you and I could ever comprehend. And I do think that those of us who are part of God's family, who did not join in on the battle, will be profoundly sad that day. I'm not sure how God is going to resolve that because we'll be with him and we'll be in heaven. But I do think that there'll be some sadness I know, immediately you're saying there's no sadness in heaven. Well, I think that we need to grasp a hold of the idea that there will be those who are going to get a well done, my good and faithful servant, and there are going to be those who don't get that, but they're still children of God. And it's going to matter. My value in life comes from loving God and loving people. 
not from winning battles and not from doing what's right in this life where I think if I do this, people will be impressed by me and or or maybe on social media, whatever it might be. Those are irrelevant places. My significance comes from loving God and loving others. That's what I was made to do. I was made to serve and to give and to be a part of something far bigger than myself. My significance and my security are given to me as gifts. I'm an important individual to God Almighty, and I need to live in that context or forever be chasing my tail in this life. Once again, I thank you for taking the time to listen to Nighttime. I'm Dave Wager here in the studios at Silver Birch Ranch on the campus of the Nicolay Bible Institute. I wish you and your family well. Good night for now. Thank you.